You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement. Or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Continuing our mission to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. It is time once again for the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome in, everybody, wherever you're listening to us, either on radio, live stream, Facebook, YouTube, podcast. We thank you for being with us. My name's Scott Inman and Janet Walker alongside today as we get ready to answer your questions sent in to the show. Welcome, Janet. Thank you. Ready glad to go? To, glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. We've I mean, got, we've got air conditioning, so I'm I'm very happy to be here. Yes, <laughs> you know? we are still in the middle as we record this show today of an Arkansas heat wave, and that's saying something because it's always hot in Arkansas yeah. in August, but it's especially hot. We've been topping 100 degrees for the last several days, so we're hoping that, like inflation, the weather cools off very yes, soon. Yes, yes. We've got uh, one thing I want to mention, too. I want to say a quick thanks to everybody who joined us uh, earlier this week. August 22nd was when we held an event at the Chanel Event Venue in West Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Jeffrey Roach was our guest. He is the chief economist for LPL Financial. He joined us for a Q&A session. Uh, we had some questions for him. Our audience made up of uh, our clients and their guests also had some questions uh, for him. And we had a great time, a little bit over an hour time spent talking about the economy, uh, the markets, U.S. debt, the presidential election coming up next year, near-term recession, will there be, won't there be, how bad will it be? And if you missed that, we wanted to say thanks to the people who did come, but we also wanted to tell you, if you're listening to this show, that we recorded a Get Ready for the Future show live during this Q&A event. So that is going to, in essence, become the next radio radio show slash podcast, and it will air on radio Labor Day weekend. So it will be the first weekend in September. Make sure you mark your calendars if you listen to us on radio, and then check us out wherever you get your podcast. You'll want to be able to hear that. It was about, a, you know, we took about an hour of uh, Q&A yeah. and whittled it down to about 35 minutes, but it's going to be really informative, and it's a deep dive that we don't often do on this show, uh, but I think it's very educational i know the people mm-hmm. in attendance really appreciated it well and when you talk about it being a deep dive some people might go oh an economist and a deep dive it uh, sounds like it's you know not for me <laughs> yeah yeah but but i think that jeffrey roach did a yeah. fabulous job of putting it in what we'll just call layman's terms you know to to explain uh well he even talked about like an inverted yield curve and you know it, that's one example of like okay what is that and he did a really good job to explain a term that you hear very often and people go, I don't even really know what that means, but they're talking about it and I should probably know. He, he did a great job and we had some great questions from our audience um, to really just personalize things for them and help them understand, you know, what they need to know about the economy or what they wanted to know about the economy. So be sure if you didn't get to join us live for the event, be sure, as Scott said, that you catch this either in podcast form or on the live show or on the show, rather, I should say that first Saturday in September. Yeah. And I think sometimes it takes a little bit of an investment of your time to get above the noise. Yeah. You know, we, we get everything piecemealed to us and headlines and sound bites and social media right. today. Take a moment to just spend 30 minutes, 35 minutes listening to, to Dr. Roach and get some perspective on 
uh, the economy. Because the last thing you want to do is act from an investment perspective or a, a spending perspective, a savings perspective, based on fear, based on what you're getting in eight or 10 second sound bites. You want to know as much as you can know. Education is the key. And that's next week's Get Ready for the Future show, Dr. Jeffrey Roach, from our live event on August 22nd. Meantime, we're taking your questions on today's show, so let's dive right in. Our first question comes to us from Sean in Little Rock. Sean sent in an email and writes, I hear you mention annuities on your show quite often. You say they can be used to have guaranteed income in retirement. Can you explain how much you have to invest into an annuity and how much income that money would produce to you a month in retirement. Sean, thanks very much for the question. A couple of hows in there, and we're going to answer that, but we're also going to need to get to why, because that's a real mm -hmm. important uh, question to answer too. Why an annuity, if it makes sense? But our disclaimer first, that they like us to say, annuities are insurance contracts that may carry fees, charges, and restrictions. You should consider the contract carefully before purchasing. Guarantees are based on the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. So, when we talk about annuities, Janet, in a client room, the first thing I start off with is, is what, do you, what is your perception? What do you right. know about annuities? Because annuities is such a large, it, it covers so much ground and can mean so many different things that right. it's important to know what kind of annuity we're talking about. Scott, one of the things you mentioned as we were preparing for this show was that some people, many people, in fact, even call their pension an annuity. Mm -hmm. Now, technically, there is, a, there is a difference there, but the reason they're using that word, if we think about where the word comes from, it's the same root word as annual. And what it means is that you're getting an annual payout. It's usually broken down monthly instead of, you know, just once per year, but you're getting an annual amount of money from this source. And so that's why some people, you know, attribute that word also to their pensions. But we want to look at what is done by an insurance company and in different forms. So this is an investment product that is for sure offered by an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And they have inside of this, they can work differently. So you might have a variable annuity with sub accounts. Um, sub accounts are different than mutual funds, but for the layperson's understanding of what it is, it kind of has the same function as like a mutual fund would have. You might have a fixed annuity that has a guaranteed interest rate, and you might have an indexed annuity that's going to be tied to the performance of an index, whether it's a stock index, bond index, etc. So that talks about the performance inside of that annuity vehicle. So if you think about an annuity having a, uh, the wrapper around the type of account you have, and they come with surrender charges oftentimes that you're going to have to park that money for a certain length of time and cannot withdraw more than a, usually about 10% of it, or you're going to be charged a penalty. So you need to know that they're long-term uh, products as well. But then past what type of investment you're in that Janet went over, the question from Sean asked about guaranteed income. So any of these annuities, any of those types of annuities can be offered from an insurance company or by an insurance company with a guaranteed income rider. Mm -hmm. So you think about it when it, it rides on top of the product and for a fee, an additional fee, you are charged to have that rider ride on top and it is a guaranteed income amount that can be taken either annually or monthly in most cases for the rest of your life. And that is to Sean's question. So he asks, how much do you have to have to, an inv to invest into an annuity? There are minimums. They're usually very low, sometimes around $25,000, again, depending on the type of annuity you're talking about and the insurance carrier. 
how much income that would produce to you a month also varies based on the type of annuity. But as a general rule, Janet, you're talking about a withdrawal percentage around 5% of the premium amount or, or whatever the income base ends up at. And we don't want to go too far into the weeds here, but basically there's going to be a number that that withdrawal percentage is based on when you begin receiving income, and it's around 5% a year. Right. So there's a when you go back to, in Sean's question, when he talks about, you know, how much do you have to invest, and we've, and we've addressed the question of, like, what is required as far as a minimum, mm-hmm. but then you want to look at how much do you need to invest and how much makes sense. For example, if somebody put $25,000 into an annuity for the purpose of using it for an income source. Well, if you get 5% of $25,000 and it's stretched out over a 12-month period of time, it's not a whole lot of income right. that we're talking about. So the question is, why would you even guarantee that amount of income? Does it make sense to have that small of an amount? And some people will seed it with a smaller amount and then add over the years. That's a different scenario. But if you're at the point of taking income and income is your purpose, then you're probably going to want to have more money in this. And and really, we look at this, Scott, very formulaically. It is literally this process of questions that we go through, and we will ask things like, I'll use this as an example, we might ask Mr. and Mrs. Smith, how much money do you have to have every single month coming in on a, on a guaranteed basis just to cover your required expenses? We're not talking about desired income that would cover, you know, vacations and spoiling the grandkids and those types of things. What is your required income need? Let's say that they tell us that they have to have $4,000 a month. And we look at their Social Security income, and let's say they also have a pension, and they've said they have to have $4,000 a month. Well, between Social Security and pension income, they have 5000 So their required income needs are already met through guaranteed sources of income. We would look at that and say, you don't need to have an annuity for the purpose of income. But let's flip this answer, or this this scenario rather, for them and say, okay, now they've said they have to have $5,000 a month. They don't have a pension. They have two Social Security checks that total $4,000. So now, Scott, we have a $1,000 gap. And in that scenario, we at GenWealth would say, you need to fill that with an annuity to cover that gap so that you know that regardless of what happens, you have that guaranteed amount of income coming in. And Scott, this causes people to face a crisis in the market very Mm -hmm. differently Mm -hmm. because we have checked the box on security at the beginning and we know that regardless of what happens, these guarantees are in place. Yeah, and I think that uh, that that brings up the, the point that we make all the time, that it's plan before product. Right. It should be the plan that determines what investment products you have, Sean. So don't go get an annuity just because it offers guaranteed lifetime income. Get an annuity, annuity only if you need one, right? And the plan, the process of planning determines that answer. And I think that's a great question from Sean, and I think it's an important one, too. I do want to circle back to one thing I said about 5%. That is usually for single life and usually at age 65, right? So there mm-hmm. there are all kinds of variables on how large that withdrawal percentage will be. You can also get those uh, income riders that have joint life uh, income on them, so you and your spouse would actually be covered for both of your lives. So there's a lot of variables involved, and you really need the guidance of a financial advisor and a plan 
to basically determine whether you need an annuity or not. And it's particularly important to do that now more than ever, because we've talked about this in the past too. There is uh, legislation. We are headed down a path of potentially having annuities offered inside of 401ks, Mm -hmm. inside of employer-sponsored plans. And you think about a 35-year-old who is building wealth, trying to get to true financial independence later in life, 30 years down the road, he may like the sound of guaranteed income, right? And he may be in a a high-fee guaranteed income product way before he needs it. You know, Scott, there there is a plan, I'm not going to name it, but there is a plan that we have seen that already has an annuity built in. And I will tell you, that of all the people I've ever met with who have it, and it's a pretty significant number, of all the people I've ever met with who have it, there was only one who understood the parameters on it in that particular annuity inside of their retirement plan offered by their employer. They cannot take the money out in less than a 10-year time period. My, my line used to be, and I know God could do, do this, but my line used to be, <laughs> God himself could not get this out of the of this annuity within within a time period less than 10 years. And so like we had a, a client years ago who had $300,000 in that and could not access it as retirement income at the time that she turned 65 and was ready to retire. She thought she had full access to that and didn't. So I'm just going to say if this this widens to be allowed in, you know, most retirement plans, be aware of how they work, understand what's in there. Annuities are complex products yeah. and we believe there is absolutely a time and a place to use them. Uh, they have been very helpful to our clients over the years here at Genwealth, but there are many times when you don't need them and it's just important to have an understanding of what they are and how they work because they are not all created equally. One final word I've got for that, when we talked about the Jeffrey Roach event and being educated, and sometimes education requires a commitment, a time commitment, because we live in this soundbite world, this uh, the, this short message, short attention span world. You'll also hear out there, I hate annuities, right? You'll hear the the marketing mantra that they're all bad, right? Well, how we just went through the complexity of it right? and how many different kinds there are and how many usage there, uses there could be. Don't start with a blanket statement and get your uh, feelings about annuities basically from one marketing statement, right? Mm -hmm. You need to know more about it, educate yourself, and work with a financial advisor and get a plan together before you determine whether you have a need for an annuity or not. Great question. We obviously loved it because we spent a lot of time on it. This (laughs) is our question of the week. So we want to say congratulations to Sean and thanks for reaching out with your question. We'd love to send you a free Get Ready for the Future Show Tumblr for being the question of the week. So Sean can claim it by sending his email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And for future shows, know that, that if you send in a question for us and we choose it as the question of the week, you could get a Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr. How do you ask a question, Scott? Well, here's how you're going to do it. You can call or you can text to this number, 501 381 5228. That's 501-381-5228, or you can send an email to the same email I just referenced, show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Ask your question via email, text, or voice, and we could get it on the air. And if you're named the question of the week, we could send you a prize. Our next question is from Emily in Maumel, and Emily writes, what's your opinion on how to handle unused vacation time at retirement? Take a lump sum or defer as much as possible 
into the 401k or 457. Well, Emily, we love that you have that option potentially to do that. And it really does depend. And, and it depends, I think, mainly on what your need or your desire is. Because right. there's, there's some numbers related. There's some financial things that I think you need to consider. And we're going to get into that first with taxes. But there's all kinds of other things that really what fits you, what fits your need. But on the tax side, you know, how much money are we talking about, right? I mean, right. there are a lot of careers out there that if you don't use your vacation time, it accrues and there is a big pile of money waiting for you at the end of the at the end of your career. And, and I do want to talk a little bit about tax brackets, even yeah. when we're talking about that, because many people don't really understand tax brackets. What you're talking about is if let's say that I don't know, let's say it's fifty thousand dollars that you're going to get. Then with this $50,000, if part of it, let's even say, you know, just $1,000 is going to push you up into that next tax bracket, understand that it's only that $1,000 that's going to be taxed at that higher rate. Most people think that once they go into a higher bracket, that it increases everything, like every dollar, including their first one, is taxed at that higher rate. That's not how it works. It's only what goes above it. But if the majority of that 50000 was going to be in a higher tax bracket, then you might go, I don't know that that's worth it. And it kind of depends also on, you know, how much of a change in brackets are we talking about. So that's something to consider. And if you're at the end of the year, then you've earned, you know, more money through the, the calendar year than if you were doing this in, let's say, February. So that might also be a factor. So definitely look at what the tax impact is going to be if you have a CPA this is worth a phone call to them to just walk through that and discuss, uh, you know, what the situation might be. And then also, we'll just give you some things to consider. I would think about what are some of your short-term needs. Like, as you roll into retirement, how is your emergency fund looking? Is it healthy? If it's not, then it might be wise to take some of this and just set it aside as emergency fund needs. You might pay off some outstanding debt that would allow you to have less of an income need. If you if you pay off a credit card and you don't run the balance back up again, that's that's also important. So if you pay off a credit card and that saves you $300 a month, then you don't need that $300 in the future as your retirement income. So that's another possibility as well as Look at the age of your vehicle before you retire. Are you going to need to replace that? Is that something that you could do or that would make sense with this? And keep in mind, we're not encouraging you to spend this. It might be very wise for you to save it or to invest it. But these are just some checkpoints to think through. If you don't take the lump sum and you can defer it, as, as she mentions in her question, into the, she says 401k and 457. Not sure if she has both available or if she's talking about uh, it's not likely that she'd have both available because usually a 457 is for an, a nonprofit entity or a government entity. But let's talk a little bit about the differences there. She may be referring to her spouse, that maybe both of them are going to have some vacation time uh, potentially accrued and potentially uh, monetized so that she has the option to take a lump sum or defer it. If you defer it into your retirement accounts, obviously that takes the tax question out, at least for the here and now. But my question would be, how much retirement income do you need and want? Uh, are you going to have pensions? Are you going to have Social Security? And when does that come in? Your retirement income plan could tell you that if deferring, especially if it's spouses, right, if it's right. two lump sums into two retirement accounts, that might change the game a little bit on how much monthly income you could receive in retirement. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between a 401k and a 457 for those who are not aware of that. A 401k is the 
uh, one, that's the standard, right? That's the gold standard of employer plans. You put in typically pre-tax, although there's also the option of Roth dollars. But in this case, if we're talking about deferring, you're talking about putting in money on a pre-tax basis. And then when you take it out, it's taxed at ordinary income tax rates. But if you are still working prior to 59 and a half, you can't take that out without penalty. Now, the 457 works in all those same ways with the exception of the penalty part of that. They are built really for teachers, for firemen, for police officers, for people who are likely going to be able to have the opportunity to retire prior to age 59 and a half. So in that case, they're allowed to take distributions prior to 59 and a half and not be penalized. So here's an opportunity if you if you do need if you have a retirement income plan, Janet, built for you and you know how much you're going to need in pre-59 and a half dollars, then that might help you determine if you need to defer that leave time to add to that pre-59 and a half stack of money. We, we've worked with a lot of um, LRPD officers over the years, and they will, instead of calling it a 457, they almost always, to a person, call it deferred comp. Yeah. Some of them will call it by the name of the company that handles the deferred comp plan for them. But uh, many people don't, in, in our experience, at least with that group, they don't call it by a 457. So if you have heard deferred comp, I just want you to know it's the same thing. The last thing you should consider, we talked about on your need or on what fits you. There's also the possibility here I would look at if you don't take a lump sum or defer it, but you take the time. It could actually buy you more retirement time. It is oftentimes we have people Mm -hmm. who are going to retire and their official date of separation from their employer may be December 31st, but they're out the door in mid-October. There have been a few times when that has led to some slightly amusing conversations in the meeting room. You know, somebody will come in and we're like, Hey, uh, you got two more months to go until, until retirement. and, And like, are you ready? And they're like, Man, my office is already packed up. I'm just using my days. <laughs> That's know, right. Like I'm really already retired. It's just not official yet. So yeah. we we do have quite a few people who do that. So I think really, you know, as as we've talked through this this question from Emily, Emily, I think the most important thing is really for you to just think through these different points and determine you know, what the best resolution is going to be for you. And if it needs to be something that is a calculation, if you need to have somebody tell you do you need these figures in your retirement plan, then just feel free to reach out and we can have somebody put together a plan for you so that you know mathematically the impact of that decision on your retirement. Yeah. And for anybody listening, if you need if you need to find out if you're ready to retire, you need to go through the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process. And you can start that by calling 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526 to get started on building your retirement income plan. All right, next up, it's Bradley from Cabot. And Bradley's question is, should I continue contributing to my spouse's Roth IRA if they are now a stay-at-home parent, or do I need to start a separate spousal IRA? Bradley, thanks very much. We appreciate the uh, question. So we're not uh, we, we probably want to start by clearing up possible misunderstandings here. When when Bradley writes spousal IRA, we, we, we think we know what he means there, but there's actually yeah. technically not a spousal IRA. Right, and, and we understand, Bradley, because many people will use this term. They mm. will say the word spousal IRA, but the IRS, like there's not a checkbox on any of their documents that says you're doing a spousal IRA. So let's set that term aside and get some clarity because – 
if let's say if one spouse is working and another one is not the household contributes in the name of the non-working spouse and that's probably what you're calling a, a spousal IRA but it doesn't matter like if the spouse already had a Roth you can contribute you can continue making contributions to that same Roth that they might have had while they were working and now they're stay-at-home spouse it's the same it's the same account you do not have to open a separate account that would be labeled as a spousal IRA it's just a question we're talking about where the income is coming from it's coming from we'll say it's the husband's account and the husband is working and the the wife is not and so it that's where we get the the jargon of spousal IRA but it, there's not technically any difference so you just qualify to be able to contribute based on the income that is coming to your household as a married couple yeah you think about when you file it's married filing jointly all yes. that income is considered joint income even if it's only being earned by one of the spouses so it is considered earned by both so that means both of you can have a Roth IRA now in Bradley's case She's saying that, or he's saying that she already had one, right? The the spouse already had a Roth IRA. But if you're not aware of that, if you have a, a stay-at-home uh, parent and you're mm-hmm. not, you don't have a Roth IRA in their name, know that you can do that. If you're married filing jointly, you can both have a Roth IRA, and that can add up because if you think about the contribution limits here, it's sixty-five hundred dollars annual contribution limit for a single person per Roth IRA. So you double that, you get $13,000 into Roth IRA uh, accounts if you're married, even if one spouse is not working. And then if you're 50 or older, you get an extra $1,000 on top of that considered a catch-up contribution. So it's $7,500 total for each person. That runs you up to $15,000. You can get into Roth dollars uh, which uh, we've talked about many times on this show, the Roth IRA is one of the probably the under most underutilized yeah. instruments in retirement. You put that money in after tax, it grows tax free, and you pull it out in retirement. And taxes are going to be one of the biggest hurdles and biggest things you have to plan for in retirement. So having tax free income can really make a big difference. Yeah, I, I will say to everybody out there who's listening that if you are, uh, you know not right up on the precipice of retirement so you've got a few years to go before you get there five years or more frankly and you have the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA that tax-free income will be your best friend in retirement so just be sure that if you have the ability to do that that you take advantage of it and and I'll say this is something that uh, my brother discovered uh, recently he's uh, he's retired military and so he doesn't have a need to work, you know, like for W-2 income somewhere. He's got his pension income coming in, and he's got pretty low expenses, so he doesn't really have a need to do that. But we came from a farm family, and he still has a great appreciation for farmers and all that they do, and, and he saw a need for the farmer and an opportunity for him, and that was that uh, these guys are growing watermelons, and they need somebody to sell them because they need to be able to stay in the field and do their job there but they need somebody to sell them. So I know this sounds like a tangent. It is connected, I promise, to the Roth IRA conversation. So what he did is he'll drive to the farm, get a trailer full of melons, and come back and sell those uh, in town. And what happens is all of that is a cash business. Well, the IRS has no record of him having an income on that unless he reports it. And his reporting of that income is what allows him to make a Roth contribution. So I say all of that to say, Bradley, if, you're, if your wife is a stay-at-home parent 
and has any source of earned income, even if it's, and this is unlikely, but even if it is selling watermelons on the street, if you report that when you file your taxes, then you have the ability also to make contributions in, in her name. Not that she needs it because you can do it as a spouse regardless, but I, but for anybody out there listening who goes, man, they said I need a Roth and I don't know how to do it because I don't really have earned income right now. There are lots of ways to have earned income. You just have to report it to be able to have the opportunity to contribute to a Roth or a traditional IRA. Now, there are restrictions. If you're a high earner, there are phase-outs on your eligibility for a Roth IRA. So if you're single, uh, that number in 2023 is $153,000 in annual income. For married filing jointly, like Bradley and his wife, it's $228,000. So if you're a high earner, uh, there is a phase-out. That's when the phase-out begins, and it does right. go to a complete phase-out beyond that where you cannot go directly into a Roth IRA. And one other mention here before we move on, uh, one other thought for Bradley, if your wife has just become a stay-at-home parent, uh, it's a it's really a time to review life insurance for her. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people don't think about that. Uh, my my husband is a, a stay at home dad, and we have an insurance policy on him. Obviously, that is not for the purpose of replacing his earned income because he doesn't have it. But um, we call this many times for a, a spouse who's a stay at home parent. We call it I call it a Mary Poppins policy. You think about all the things that Mary Poppins does. And all those things have to, you're going to have to hire Mary Poppins if something happens to your spouse. If something happened to Stephen, I would need a Mary Poppins to come in and take the kids to the doctor. Frankly, these days, today, he took my mom to a doctor's appointment. And if I didn't have him to be able to do that, then somebody else would have to step in and that would be at cost. So consider all the things that your spouse is doing that you're not paying them to do, but if they weren't there, you would have to pay somebody. And and you may find that you have an insurance need when you look through that. All right, we've only got a few minutes, so we're going to hustle to Kennedy's question from Little Rock, longtime listener, but it's my first time writing in. I love your show. This might be a hot take. Do you think target date funds get too conservative too soon? Do most pivot out of them as they reach a certain level? Thanks, Kennedy, for the question. Let's start by answering for people listening what are target date funds they are most popular now in re- employer plans they become they have become so in many times the only option even available inside of some plans but they basically are funds available in your 401k or employer sponsored plan that and the target date part of that is in reference to the name of the fund there's usually a year on it like 2030 2040 2060 a target date or a target year in the future, and many people are encouraged to choose the date or the year in which they expect to retire and place their investments inside of that target date fund. Now, uh, Janet Kennedy asked, do they get too conservative too soon? They are built to be on a gliding scale where basically the allocation, it becomes mostly equity in the in the farther out date that you choose right, and gradually becoming more bond heavy or fixed income heavy in the allocation as the date gets nearer. So we would, Kennedy, we would tend to agree with you that it it has often been our experience that, yes, they do get too conservative too soon. But I also want to be careful about us considering bonds as conservative. They do get that stronger allocation. But 
Scott, we've seen recently, in recent years, that bonds were not necessarily a conservative place to be, a safe place to be, because as interest rates went up, those bond prices went down. And so we saw people actually losing value in what they thought was a safe place to be. So be cautious about that. The, the other thing that I would encourage anybody, you know, as you get closer and closer to retirement, to think about is that retirement is not a stop sign when it comes to your investments. There is a great need for you to remember that you're going to have multiple decades in all likelihood in retirement. So you need to treat some of this still as long-term money. And, and that is really why we believe that they get a little bit too conservative with the overall allocation too soon for us. Yeah, that's a great point, because if your entire life savings is in your 401k, what you're going to live on in retirement and it becomes too conservative, there is not a, a there may not be enough of a growth component to your assets. And to Janet's point, retirement is not a stop sign. You still have to believe in equities as part of your overall investment strategy, even in retirement. And why? The main reason is because you're going to have to have a way to raise your income over a long period of time. We've seen inflation take a bite out of our buying power over the last two years. It won't be that high all the way through your retirement, but it's going to be there. Things are going to cost more, and you're going to have to have a way to account for that by raising your income. And equities, along with real estate, are the only two asset classes that historically have outpaced inflation. I went way past the bell there. <laughs> I forgive I, you. It's I, okay. Casey's probably going <laughs> to scold me for that, but it's time for our final thoughts. Janet, we'll start with you. Well, my final thought is congratulations to Sean for getting the very first Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr that we've given away for the question of the, of the week. Um, but also, if you're out there listening and you don't have one yet, we would love for you to get your question in for us. The number again is 501-381-5228. You can call or text and get that, or you can email us at show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And again, as Scott mentioned earlier in the show, if you if your question gets picked as the question of the week, then you have you have the Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr. I've got two final thoughts. I'm going to give you an opportunity to download our seven steps to financial independence. Here it is, securing financial independence, the seven steps to building a sustainable life after work. It's a free download for you. You can get it by texting the word STEPS to that same number that Janet referenced. You're going to want to have that in your contacts because we have all kinds of offers and ways to connect with us at 501-381-5228 or visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash STEPS or send an email to us. Get that. Get some education on securing financial independence. And if you're ready to take the next step, if you're ready to retire, then go through the GenWealth Ready to Retire process. You can start that process by calling 866-653-PLAN. It's 866-653-7526. And that is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Again, thanks to everybody who wrote a question. Sean was the question of the week. We had some great ones from Kennedy and Bradley as well as Emily. Get those questions to us, 501-381-5228. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. 
The GenWealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.